The reading is taken from Luke, chapter 11, and this is the expanded version of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, Because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, you give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Thank you, Richard. Let us pray now. Lord, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a well-known passage and obviously a well-known prayer that lies at the beginning of this passage. Uh, and there is um, quite a bit of uh, thinking to do about prayer, but more than it, quite a lot of doing to do about prayer. And uh, over this past month, as I said, we've had a series on prayer. We started off in, uh, lo- lo- looking at um, you know, um, why pray, um, we-, we looked at uh, where to pray, and we looked at uh, when to pray. And we're concluding the series today on how to pray. How to pray. How do you pray? Is there a right? Is there a wrong way? And uh, after Mike preached uh, and everybody had gone home, Barry, Mike and I stood out in the foyer there and we looked at each other and we said, how to pray? And we stared at each other and said, every one of us struggles with prayer. It doesn't come easy. I wish we struggled in prayer, but no, we struggle with prayer. 
And if your leaders in this church are struggling with prayer, I suspect possibly one or two of you might just be the same. And that's why the disciples watched Jesus, the world's expert in prayer. I'm not going to talk about what Barry, me, or Mike, or others might think about prayer or say about it. There will be some books I'm quoting from some experts. I'm going to quote to you and lay before you what you've just read. The grand master of prayer, Jesus Christ, and what he has got to say to us this morning from his word. And that is what I hope we come away with this morning. But the fact that the disciples approached Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray, tells you what? It doesn't come natural. Arithmetic, somebody had to teach me arithmetic. Somebody had to teach me grammar. I did learn language, but I didn't understand it. We need to learn how to pray. We need to come to the master and at his feet kneel and learn how to pray. It does not come naturally, and it's a struggle. And the fact that we're struggling with prayer means we're doing something about it. And if you're not struggling with prayer, then you're not praying. And so we've got lots to learn. How do we pray, and what does the master say? What is prayer? So it's a good idea, they say, to start with a definition, and this might sort of help, it might not. But the first slide I've got here shows what prayer actually is, and it's communication. And if you think about it, a soldier in a battlefield is in communication with his headquarters, with his commander. It's essential to do his job, to know what his commander thinks, and for the commander to hear the report upwards. And uh, the second one I've got here is, is a young girl perhaps uh, texting or, or speaking to her boyfriend or, or to her girlfriends or some of her friends that she's got. And in each case, it's useless, it's meaningless, unless there's a relationship in place between the one at one end of the communication and the one at the other end. That girl must have her heart beating if it's her friends and her boyfriend. That soldier needs to have a relationship with his commander. And so we too need to understand that prayer is about communication. I don't know if you've got, like me, teenage children, teenage boys particularly. They go through this age, uh, it's about sort of 15, 16, and they go silent. I don't understand it, but I've watched, I've got four boys, and I've watched them all grow up. And they get to this period where they stop talking to you. In fact, if it gets worse, which it has in my home, they come in, they put their meal on their plate, they get up and walk away, and they eat their meal in their bedroom. They don't even talk to you at at the the one time you'd expect communication. And, And they go through this silent period for about a year and a half or longer sometimes, And even sometimes when they do say, I mean, what's happened to me, you know, I hate you. And that's the most you get out of them. (laughs) And delightfully, they grow up. (laughs) And then as they get closer to sort of 18 or whatever, they start talking again and asking questions about you. And uh, you know what the saying is, a 16-year-old, the boy thought his dad was a complete and utter idiot. By 20, he thought that actually dad had something sensible. And by 30, he realized he wasn't actually that bad or stupid after all. And it's, but communication is essential for growing and for relationships developing. And uh, what prayer can do in that context, let's think about it. But what is prayer? Uh, next one click, uh, you should be able to read uh, a lovely old hymn, Prayer is the soul's sincere desire uttered or 
unuttered or expressed. It doesn't have to be expressed in words. It can be just the lifting of an eye. Prayer is that sensitive. And that's something we need to improve and learn about. Uh, But let's look at the master's uh, demonstration. How did Jesus respond to the question that he was asked, teach us to pray? How do we pray? And he did three things. And in this passage, if you've got it in front of you on page 69 of your New Testaments, I would encourage you to open it up and look at it. There are three parts to this answer that he gave, very important. One is he gave them a model prayer. And he laid out a pattern of prayer before them so that they might understand what good prayer looks like. And that's what a model is for. I work on a project called HMS Queen Elizabeth. Um, It's the aircraft carrier program that we're designing at the minute. You'll see a picture of it later in this presentation. And I'm at the minute commissioning a model to be built. Now, it's not this size of model. It's going to run from here to just beyond the edge of the baptistry. It's enormous because we're going to put it in a school in Culdrose where they teach people who have to work on that, that very treacherous flight deck on how to move aircraft. The model isn't the reality. It is an image or representation of the reality. The reality is much bigger. I can assure you 65,000 tons of it. But the model represents the shape, form, substance of the reality. In giving us the Lord's Prayer, Jesus has given us a model. It represents a great reality of prayer, but in a very tiny space. And we're going to just have a a little walk through it. It'll be quite a quick walk through it, because I, I want to explore a few other things from other reading around it that helps us, I hope. And then the second thing Jesus does, as well as giving us a model, he gives us, so so he showed us what model prayer looks like. He then emphasizes persistence in prayer. How important it is to persist, to keep going. And we're going to have a look at that. He gives us a story here, an illustration, a parable of um, somebody uh, whose relatives or mates landed in on him late at night and saying, Where's the whiskey? Where's the beer? Where's the, I mean, what, do you, what do you got here, mate? And suddenly he runs, well, bread, actually. And suddenly he runs around to his old, old, old neighbor and says, oh, please, 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 please give me something. And he persists and gets his reward. And then thirdly, Jesus summarizes the whole lot. And the summary isn't the Lord's Prayer. He says, so I say to you, Jesus now tells us this is what prayer is about. Ask, seek, knock. That is the essence of prayer, the reality of prayer that he brings, the power in prayer. So we've got the Lord's prayer, persistence in prayer, and the power of prayer to look at. And uh, Jesus gives a very thorough answer, and I'll only be touching in bits of it, really, but I hope that it encourages you to get into it more and indeed to pray. Well, let's move on then, and let's start with the Lord's Prayer. And it starts with these two words. And they go, Our Father. It's all about our relationship, isn't it? It's not trying to get up to God and press him with big, long prayers and big, long litanies that we go. No, 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 no. I'm talking to my dad I'm not a teenager that's gone deaf 
I'm blind. I'm talking to my dad. This is prayer. It starts with relationship. And this is what we have to understand. We're brought into that relationship. Now, this passage is, is amazing. Because if you just, if you've got it in front of you, just follow these through. How and to whom do we pray? And it answers this very well. It says, Jesus says, we pray to our Father. But it is being taught us by Jesus because it's the Lord's Prayer. And the last verse says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Prayer is not where you pick which one of the Trinity will I pray to? Oh, I like the Holy Spirit. I'll pray, Holy Spirit, can you do this for No, 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 no. You've missed the point. Prayer is fully Trinitarian. It brings us to a real understanding of the very character of God as Trinity. We pray to the Father, through the Son who has brought us and died for our sins, in the power of the Holy Spirit who he has given into our hearts. And as the Holy Spirit indeed who generates the prayer. We must be fully Trinitarian in our prayers. We must understand we share, engage with the very makeup and character of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and not try to compartmentalize them. And that's something that we often miss. But that's how Jesus starts this prayer, and that's the context of this passage. Um, the next uh, click is a film. And uh, I don't know if you've seen it, A Bridge Too Far. And uh, you probably remember the Americans were coming up, the Brits were coming up, and they were all making their way up from uh, Normandy, and they were going to cross the River Rhine. And as they were crossing some of the rivers, there was one famous incident where the Americans were tasked to take one of the bridges. And the only way they felt they could do it was to have troops on both sides, which meant that a whole company or more had to get across the river. And they went in these leaky boats, and that picture shows them, using their rifles as well as paddles to try and get over. And as they did, the Germans mortared them, shelled them, and opened machine guns on them. Bullets flying everywhere. It's a very exciting film. And as they were going, the Catholics got their rosaries out and said, Oh, hail Mary, full of grace. <laughs> and the Protestants said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be that. <laughs> what were they doing? They were abusing the name of God, and the Lord's Prayer. They were using it as a mantra. That's Buddhism, not Christianity. They were using it as some sort of thing to fend off evil. It was never intended to be that. It is intended to be a model for us, not a mantra. So reciting the Lord's Prayer without meaning it is actually sinful. It's breaking the second commandment. Reciting it, but applying it and understanding it in your prayer life that's different, and I hope that's something we get through to. But that's that uh, there. Next slide, please. And it starts with this. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed. Okay. Now, the only time we ever encounter that word is the 31st of October, which we had a not the Halloween party here. But hallowed actually means holy, separate, clean, perfect, pure, be your name in my life. And notice the Lord's Prayer does not start off with the way your prayers and my prayers do. I am the church secretary. I have got the uh, link to the website of this church. And when people uh, want prayer from outside, they click on the website and they send a prayer to us. 
and they ask us to pray. And then church members contact me and Barry and ask if we could circulate prayer. 99% of the time, can you imagine what the prayers are for? Usually healing of some kind. I want to be healed. I've got a sore thumb, a sore finger. From somewhere far away, I had an email this week that came into our website and it said, I was driving past two cats who looked to be abandoned. Please pray for the two cats. Needless to say, I did not circulate that. I hit the delete button immediately. That is an abuse of prayer. And what we are told is that we start prayer not by asking for ourselves, but putting God first. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Look at the first three lines. There are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer, and the first three each have a personal pronoun in it. If you know what a personal pronoun is, shout out the personal pronoun that is in each of those three sentences. Your. Prayer is not about me. Prayer starts with your name. Your kingdom, your will. Prayer, we're introduced into heaven itself, into God's presence. Moses in the desert had to build a tabernacle, a a tent that laid down a very particular way for Israel to approach God. It was quite prescribed. This prayer lays down for us. If we approach God, Him first. It starts with praise. Uh, Martin Luther, next slide, uh, looked at this, and he did a brilliant thing. I I read this last week, and I just couldn't believe what he had done here. It's amazing. He talks about that hallowed be your name, the name of God, is something very precious. Because he talks about the second commandment, don't take the name of your Lord your God in vain. Don't make it empty. And what he does is he stands the Ten Commandments on their head. Now, if you want to understand the commandments, I'll be quick in this point, you stand them on your he- their head. Why? They're all negatives. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not take the name. Now, stand it on its head and turn them all into positives. You shall not murder. You shall love your fellow man with all your heart and soul. You shall not steal. You shall, turn it upside down, work, earn money, and be generous and give. Do you see? Now, second commandment, you shall not take the name of your Lord in vain. Therefore, turn it on its head. You shall use the word Lord. And as soon as I say, Lord, what have I just done? I've prayed. The second commandment says, you shall pray. Talk to God. Use his name as it was meant to be. And Luther draws this out. That we are required to praise that holy name and call upon it in every need. In other words, to pray. The second commandment is, you shall pray. How many of us are breaking the second commandment every day? And that's an amazing insight that we need to carry forward. And we pray by allowing ourselves to get into the presence and humble before God. 
But let's get back to the, the lines in this one. The first three, hallowed be your name. We've looked at that. Your kingdom come. We are asking that this kingdom of Jesus Christ, the good news or gospel he brings, extends to everybody outside there and in here. That we accept Jesus as king and we share his kingship and his death and his cross with them so they might be forgiven as well. This is a real command to get out and do things. And if we're asking that God's kingdom come, we're then saying that we don't want our kingdom first. What do we call politicians who defraud and feather their own nests in positions of responsibility and power? I know you're right. We call them politicians. I forgot. Um, but um, uh, normally we call them corrupt and uh, things like that. Uh, what we're trying to get at is that when you're in that position of authority in the kingdom, you should be putting the king's interest first, not your own. And that is the intent of this phrase. We're putting the king and his wisdom first. Are we discovering what the king wants us to do? That communication in place. And then thirdly, it says, your will be done on earth as in heaven. I want you to imagine a scene. Now, it's purely, you know, it's purely sort of theory, this. But God is in heaven, and he looks at me and just says, cup of tea now, please. And the angel's reaction is, I'll get in a minute. Or uh, maybe later. Or get it yourself. Can you imagine for one second how stupid that seems? God gives a word, a hint, and in heaven it is done immediately and fully with full heart. When we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth just like it is for that angel, immediately. We drag our heels later. But God expects, so when we say that prayer, that we're coming and we're saying, God, you are everything, and I will obey you every step of the way. You see, when we engage with God in prayer, we're opening ourselves, we're bearing our souls, and we're opening ourselves to say, I come to you, and I want you first in my life, and I will obey and serve you first in my life. I dare you to pray, because that is the challenge that is laying before all of us when we come to prayer, because that is the model Jesus used. Not mine. I'm not talking about my experience here. I'm talking about what Jesus has shown us. So, how is God's will done? Next slide, please. Should show my little ship here. Ah, there she goes. For those who haven't seen it, 65,000 tons worth of scrap metal, of metal um, uh, finest uh, manufacture in Scotland uh, by Poles and Hungarians. And um, anyhow, this ship uh, is the HMS Queen Elizabeth. It's the uh, flagship of the Royal Navy, and it's the program I'm involved in in, 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 uh, in, in working with the crews and training them to handle this ship. But what happens when we pray? Well, that's a photograph of Queen Elizabeth inside Portsmouth Harbour. And if you look carefully, you'll see there are little ropes, lines running from the... You see from the front, there's a sort of blue line running uh, onto the, the harbour side, and there's a, a big sort of... Um, cap, I can't remember. Michael tell you the technical name. Some capstan or something in the far side of the harbour. Metal thing, it wraps itself around. Now, where that rope goes in, I've been in there and seen what's inside... 
They call it the forecastle, and it's not even spelt properly. But anyhow, uh, when you go in there, you find this drum higher than me. It's a, uh, and that drum goes round and round, and that rope is attached to that drum. So when the ship gets into harbour, it throws out the cable. Somebody wraps it round this big lumpy metal on the side. And then the ship starts winding through this enormous winch. This drum starts to go round. Tell me what is happening. Is Queen Elizabeth, bearing the name of the monarch, trying to pull the harbour towards itself? Or trying to pull itself towards the harbour wall? A second. Now you've learned how to pray. In prayer, we're not pulling God. Come God, I want you to do what I want you to do. He is pulling us in prayer to see his mind, himself, his way, as in heaven, so on earth. His will. We need to get close to understand that. Because this is what prayer is about. So it's not a three-minute job. I've got to get out. Oh, gosh. God, uh, mummy, daddy, um, all the friends, relatives. Amen. Bye. No, 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 no. It's being pulled into God's side and into his immovable, eternal harbor and uh, alongside his will so that we can then say in the next half of the prayer, Give us each day our daily bread. Now we're asking for ourselves. Now we're allowed to ask for our daily bread. How often do we have to say this prayer? Give us this day our... Every day. It's daily. God is not going to let you win the lottery... And have a bank full that will keep you going of spiritual goodies for the rest of your life. One day at a time, dear Jesus, is the old hymn. And you live your spiritual Christian life one day at a time. He only gives you sufficient for one day at a time. In the desert, the Israelites had to gather manna. They went out in the morning and they picked up the manna and it was sufficient for one day. And by noon, it is all gone. You and I need to speak and connect with God every single day and pray for daily sustenance and live by faith, not expecting God's going to give you tomorrows as well. And those of us get paid by salaries and more than weekly wages, we, we sometimes lose track of this. It's daily existence of faith. So the first thing we ask is provision that he will provide, and he's promised he will. And then the second thing, asking for ourselves, is this, forgive us our sins. Because clearly, we need to understand that we have sinned and that we walk by faith. And therefore, we need to remind ourselves daily that Jesus died for our sins. And we need to be alert to our daily soiling. Because every time you walk out, your shoes get dirty. It spatters on your trousers and on your your dresses and, and in your face sometimes. And it needs to be washed every day. We need to ask forgiveness and cleansing every day. And this breeds dependence, trust, and cleanliness. Jesus said to Peter, um, he washed the disciples' feet. And Peter said, oh, no, no, don't, don't wash the whole lot of me. And Jesus said, no, you've already had the bath. I need to wash you every day of the filth that gathers 
and you need to come to me every day for that washing. And so part of our prayers must be saying sorry and asking for forgiveness. And then finally, the prayer, and the last of it says, do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us or protect us from the evil one. And that is important too, that we must walk and continue to lean on the Holy Spirit, lean on him for strength and for defense, and not in our own ability. Now, if you go through this prayer and look at the six petitions, I'll, I'll, I've used three Ps already, the Lord's Prayer, persistence, and um, uh, a power, but actually each one of them goes as follows. You start with praise, hallowed be my, thy name. You intend to discover God's plan for your day and for your life, thy kingdom come. And then you discover his purpose in taking you through that day in obedience. Then you enjoy his generous provision day by day. You seek his pardon for your sins every day. And you look to him to protect us, you, on your Christian walk. Now, each aspect is what prayer is about. So when you say prayers, have you got, like me, a nice list of people you pray for? Put it away. Start with God. Then bring it out, and then pray for others and for the communities around. I just want to make a couple of points to conclude on the two further aspects that Jesus raised. One of them is persistence. And these are important. He talks about persistence. Um, And uh, the definition of persistence is continuing in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Have I got the next slide for that one, just so I can check? Yes, that's, that's the prayer for persistence or the passage for persistence. Persistence, it can mean tenacity, determination, or resolution. Don't give up in prayer. That's what we're trying to say. Never give up. Once, on the 29th of October, 1941, Churchill went back to his old school, Harrow, and he spent time speaking to the boys who would succeed him. And he said these words to him, and you know them so well, never give up. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in. Don't play with prayer. Pray. Keep praying. We should not give in. We should keep going, even if it becomes difficult for us. Thank you. Next slide. What do you do? if you don't get the answer you want. People have said in the past, actually, you get three answers to prayer. It could be green for go, God answers and says yes. It could be yellow for wait. The psalmist said, I wait upon the Lord. Wait, wait upon the Lord. Uh, And that can often be the case. We have to be patient, which we children so ably demonstrated to us. Then sometimes we think we've got a red light that means no. What do you do with a red light? No. Give up and stop praying for that. You're wrong. You've missed the point of the red light. Uh, Rob's at the back there. He was throwing away a few books. He gave Barry a whole stack of books last week. And as they came out, I spotted this one by Brother Andrew, the author of God's Smuggler. I'd read Brother Andrew's book 30, 40 years ago uh, of God's Smuggler. Fantastic. But I I spotted this and I stole it. I picked it out, borrowed it. And he writes the following in giving 
up. I have a pain in my back that's preventing me from doing work for God. My wife and I have been praying for my healing for six weeks. It does no good. No answer. So I cry, Lord, why don't you heal me? And I don't accept it. Because I know God. I know I can go directly to him. He's my friend, my father, and he knows the answer. So it'd be crazy not to ask him, would it not? And I'm sure, I am absolutely positively sure God would find a way to give me an explanation. Maybe I wouldn't be healed. That's possible for anyone of a whole range of reasons. But I would have my explanation. The Holy Spirit would help me see my situation from his perspective, which would be even better than being healed. I would have gotten closer to God's heart in the process of finding out why I wasn't healed. And then this punchline, I would rather get closer to God than be healed any day. I've got nothing to lose. And sometimes the answer is appearing to be no because you're ignorant. You haven't, you've missed the answer. You don't see it, but it still happens. Brother Andrew writes this. A number of our teens were caught in East Germany over the years with the Russian Bibles. We're trying to take over the borders. We lost many Bibles that way, 20,000 Bibles. The East Germans took off them and stopped them going into Russia. And he kept asking God, why did you let this, why, why did you do that? Was something wrong? Were we doing it wrong? Why did you allow this? Such a waste. All those Bibles that nobody will ever read. Then one day, Andrew says that he was sitting down in 1989, and a Dutch, he's Dutch if you didn't know that, a Dutch paper arrived on his desk, and he opened it up. And he read there that the Stasi, when the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, had been storing all those Russian Bibles. So all 20,000 of them, as soon as the wall came down, were shipped to Christians in Russian churches. And he didn't know that had happened. God said yes. He could only see the red light. But many times it's like that in prayer. That's the way. We must be persistent. And then just finishing off, the final thing that we have is the power of prayer, which we have in the, um, the, the next slide, I think. Yes, this one here. Ask, search, knock. And, and what Brother Andrew does is focus on the fact that if you're asking if you're searching and if you're knocking, don't just do it for the whole big red world. And he puts it in a, in a beautiful way uh, like this. He said that he uh, went and, as, as his, was his wont, they would have all-night sessions praying for Christians in communist lands. And they'd pray for every country in turn, China, Ukraine, uh, Russia, of course, and uh, Vietnam. They'd, they'd pray across the world. And at the end, they felt nothing. And then they received a letter from a family in China whose daughter had been killed for her Christian faith. They started praying for that one family in China. And suddenly they all broke out in tears and were on their knees. And suddenly everything became real because it became specific. Stop praying for the whole wide world to be saved. Be specific in prayer, he tells us. And he says that what happened is when they changed that approach, it says this, 
We went away from that meeting feeling that God had put a key into our, our hands. We understood something then we had never really thought about before. If you pray for the world, for the hungry, for the oppressed, for the missionaries, etc., you can't identify. But focus on one person, you can be passionate in prayer. And so that is something we need to be passionate by being focused. The little boy in this scene did not ask his dad for some food and anything will do. He asked specifically for a fish. He then asked specifically for an egg. And in Matthew's account, he asked specifically for bread. We need to be specific in our prayers and expect specific answers. The power of prayer is to focus it. Like a great magnifying glass, you focus it down to a tiny spot. And that is what we must do. And it is important to understand we may find things that we don't know. The local houses of prayer initiative that we're looking at says it's just five people, five weeks. Pray specifically. Don't try to save the whole world and get it all in there. And it's quite clear that things need to be focused on. But finishing off, what needs to be focused on? Is it the dead cats? Is it the uh, sore toe you've got? or your mother's got, or something like that. What's the point of praying for health, physical health, when you know you'll get better perhaps, but eventually you're going to get so bad, one day you'll die. And we know all of us are going to do that. And what's the point of physical health if you're not praying for spiritual health? There was a leper came to Jesus, and he said, Lord, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus did the thing you never do to a leper. He touched him, and instantly he was clean. He then gave him an instruction to go to the priests and show. He ran the other direction. His body was made clean, but a few years later, he died. His soul was not touched and went to hell. We pray for all the silly things. I'm not being stupid here. Physical things, wealth, health, a job, family things. We fail to pray for what God has directed and focuses to pray for. Can you, next slide. Jesus has already told us what we've got to pray for. We've got to go out and make disciples. Not just here, but everywhere. We've got to go and, and instruct them and baptize them like we did last week. Are we praying for disciples? Are we praying to build this church? Not just in numbers, but rather in depth. Are we praying to get the gospel out and bring people in? Answer, I do not see any requests for any of that across my desk as secretary. Ever. Why not? Because I think we as a church are focused on the wrong things too often. And we must focus on what God has made crystal clear to us. Brother Andrew said, his will is already perfectly clear. Make the salvation of others your primary concern. And the other aspect of, spirit of growth is the second click, please, that, again, Paul, the apostle, makes it quite clear. When he prayed for the church, what did he pray for? Not that they get better and physically, once or twice he would include that, but no, 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 that God would sanctify you, make you holy, make you grow, make you strong in faith, make you great prayers. And that is what we should be praying for and focus for. Last word. Often God gives us the answer to our prayers in our own hand. Moses came to him and said, oh, I, I, I can't do it. 
how can I possibly give, speak to Pharaoh? And God said, what's that in your hand? It was his staff. That staff became the means of all the plagues of Egypt. He swept across the Nile, it turned into blood. And that staff that he already had in his hand was the means of God's witness and destroying the evil of Egypt. God has already given us many times the answer to our own prayers. Are you praying for your children to become Christians? Are you praying for your family and mother and relatives to become Christians? Well, guess what the answer is? Who's better placed to talk to your children, your father, your mother, and so on? But you. Who do you think God has called into the town of Amesbury and its surrounds to answer our prayer to bring people of Amesbury to the gospel to help them find Christ Jesus. Who's God looking at to give the answer to that prayer that you're making? Us. The answer is in your own hands. And quite often God has given us the challenge that the answer is in our hands and we need to do it. We haven't prayed today for that, those hundreds killed in Brazil. We haven't prayed for that little child that fell down that mine shaft and was destroyed. And we're not going to. Not because we're hard-hearted or stupid. Because there are all kinds of distractions out there. Jesus was approached one day and he was told, Pilate has murdered people and mixed their blood with sacrilege. And Jesus said, unless you repent, the same fate awaits you. Well, he didn't mean that physically they were going to suffer. What he meant was that your job and my job is to get the gospel out and bring others to Christ. And that anything else is a distraction. And TV will bring all kinds on the internet, all kinds of distractions. We need to focus on what our job here in Amesbury, in Butterfield Drive, in Shruton, in, in, in the cottage you live in, in, the, in, in um, uh, Durrington, in Salisbury, wherever you live, That home is an evangelizing base. That home is a prayer center. And that home is where the gospel will go to the people of Amesbury. Are we up to it? Are we ready to do it? I must finish with just one quote. Sorry for dragging on a bit, but I couldn't couldn't resist this one from Brother Andrew. Have you ever wondered why most Christians today are not doing the greater things that Jesus said we would do? For that matter... Why are we not even doing the same things that Jesus did? We call ourselves Christians. Why aren't we seeing the same earth-shaking results? I'm not talking about miracles now. It's obvious most of us don't routinely raise the dead, restore sight to the blind, and so on. I'm only asking whether or not we are making the kind of difference in the world that Jesus said we would make, the kind of difference the apostles and early Christians made. There is power in prayer. There is power by getting close to God. And I hope this morning we can discover something in our own hearts and lives of how that can be for us. In Jesus' name, amen.